You're listening to the Los Angeles Saga Podcast, a podcast created by the future of sports coverage. Now here is your host, Jerry Reynoso. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was a good idea to have my sister do the intro, but uh, she did it anyways. Welcome everybody to the Los Angeles Saga Podcast, episode 2. Was it a reboot? I guess you'd call it a reboot, but here I have Los Compadres, Mario Vasquez, and new member joining us, Alex Ruiz. Max has a family obligation to deal with. He didn't want to tell us that he's having a girl over, so he made that excuse, and so he, he won't be joining us today. But fellas, the ones that are here with me, how are you guys feeling, man? I'll start with Mario. <laughs> What's up, man? I mean, it's been before. I'm enjoying the Euros. I'm enjoying NBA basketball, so what else can I ask for? You can't complain, man. You can't complain. How about you, Alex? Welcome, Alex. Yeah, uh, same with like like Mario said, you know, watching the Euros, Cup of America just started. You got NBA basketball. The only thing that sucks is it's really hot over here, so that's oh, something yeah. I got to deal with. You know, I've been playing baseball for a bit, um, and it's been pretty fun actually. Um, but yeah, so far the summer's been, been pretty good. Yeah, speaking of baseball and heat, dude, and I feel like MLB players have to do a petition on allowing them to wear shorts. Like, oh like, yeah, bro, come on, bro. <laughs> like it'd be like 116 degrees. I feel bad for the Diamondbacks. Like, golly, man. Aren't, don't they Arizona. play in, like, a dome stadium? The oh, that's right. Yeah, see. It's a, well, yeah, still. It's... Well, I know they'll be having a spring baseball, but still, man. God, it's too damn uh-huh. hot over there for baseball, bro. Way too hot. Well, we got plenty to talk about today. Uh, we got, of course, Euros to speak about. Copa America began, I believe, yesterday, two days ago? I think it was uh, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. So we got a few games to discuss about. NBA is heating up. We got a 4-0 sweep. Sons and foes, says the man who punched the guy in the sections and the stands. Um, we're just going to go ahead and debrief uh, sports overall today and uh, introduce a new segment. Those of you 110 football fans are aware of, we're going to bring in pass or shoot. And today's hot takes topic is soccer. There's a lot of things going on today, but first things first, we're going to bring in the Euros. It's the 2020, I don't even know what you call it, like, I'm kind of upset that it's not, like, not upset, but it's just like that OCD I mean, how they still call it Euro 2020 when it's 2021. Uh, I mean, they could have just simply said Euro. I don't know. But the Euro 2020 champions of 2021. I don't know how you're going to put that into play. That's a tongue twister almost. But uh, what is it? Day four so far? Day five tomorrow morning? Uh, yeah. Day yeah. five. Don't match the number one. Yeah, day five. Uh depending on if you're listening in the morning when this has come out. But, uh, you know, it's been a crazy four days so far. You know, today we had uh, Poland get slapped around by Slovakia, which is such a, you know, kind of a shocker, I think. I think Poland should have ran away with that one, but they were nowhere to be found. But I think the biggest story of the tournament so far is uh, the big scare with Christian Eriksen, midfielder of Denmark, uh, Inter Milan specialist. Um, it was a very scary thing to see, especially on live broadcast. Um, and I just want to, you know, just get into it very, very briefly, uh, because I mean, that's not something that we see every day, not only in soccer, but just in the sports world in general, where you have someone just get a ball, you know, threw into them like that and they have a cardiac arrest and, you know, it's a very difficult thing to uh, assess, but, uh, just give me your initial thoughts. Uh, Alex, were you watching that game live when it happened? Uh, yeah, I was actually watching that game, uh, eating breakfast and it was really weird, you know, cause it happened so quickly. I didn't see him collapse personally. I didn't see him collapse. You know, I was eating and then I just see him on the floor and I'm like, Oh, what's going on? Cause the game was really physical. Um, yeah. Denmark and Finland were really getting at it physically wise, you know, they were bossing each other around and I was like, okay, this is going on again. Somebody knocked down Ericsson, but then, you know, you see the severity of it and just the teammates all around him just signaling like very quickly and just like very urgently like yo this isn't what this is really serious right here and um just watching those 10 minutes were really scary because you can see the team doctors doing cpr on him like urgently and they're they look so frightened as well like you can see the fear in their eyes they're like we like we might lose him when i thought when i saw him i was like that this is scary you know it was so hard to watch and hear you know and overall i just I just, you know, I'm just glad to see that he's alive right now, to be honest. Yeah, man. It was, it, 
it was just uh i mean the way i saw it was uh i saw it from like social media not, not necessarily what happened but people were just like posting on instagram stories and tweeting like oh i hope he's in his injury is okay you know, to me i feel like oh, all right it's another another one of those deck injury uh deck prescott injuries where you know the bone is sticking out or whatnot like oh man but i heard that they kind of you know some broadcasts they blacked it out you know uh you know um but no it was actually much worse than that and you know it's a very thing, a uh, very difficult thing to assess, you know, no matter the case, whoever it is, man. And, you know, I feel for the players that they were upset because, I mean, not only is it one of their teammates, one of their colleagues, one of their co-workers, because remember, these are professional athletes, but this is their job. But also, within a national team standpoint, this is probably one of their best friends, man. And so that's a very difficult thing to just, you know, play through. And, uh, you know, it was very hard to watch. Uh, Mario, where were you when it happened? I was actually home as well. I wasn't watching live. Instead of watching the game live, I was scrolling through social media, and every post and every tweet was about Christian Eriksen. Christian It was a sad day for us soccer fans, man. I mean, coming from a Spurs fan, I have mad love for this underrated playmaker. You know? um, yeah. You, you went and seen was Spurs at the time. I heard some rumors that. He might not come back to play, but I'm just glad he's he survived and he's doing fine now. Yeah, man. I mean, this is this that scenario was you know just that whole thing that happened. It's bigger than football, dude. You know, at that point, it's like we don't care about football right now. We just want to make sure that he's okay. You know, uh, I was eating at a restaurant when it happened, and you know, the people there they don't watch soccer, but they heard what happened and. All right, well, let's put it on, and everyone was just in shock. Like, wow, that really happened. And there's also a lot of you know complaints and just you know pure disgust of you know how it was shown live on TV. Um, I believe they were showcasing the game on ESPN, and you know a lot of people were calling for the cameraman's head because I mean he's zoomed in onto Christian Eriksen's face like that, and that's not a cool thing that you know to broadcast live, you know, especially like that, and. I believe they also showed uh, one of his teammates. You know, he he understood what was kind of happening, and so he decided to put his two fingers in Erickson's mouth and grab his tongue to make sure that he doesn't choke on it. And so that's another thing. I feel like you know it's a thing that we're not aware of, but the players might be trained to know that like, oh this might be possible, that this might be happening, because you know. Just like how there's like professionals or of any kind of you know occupation where they teach you how to do CPR or whatnot, what if they teach you like these kind of symptoms? Like they knew he fell right away. Hey, I'm going straight for his my, my two fingers are going in his mouth and I'm grabbing his tongue to make sure he doesn't choke on it. So I thought that was pretty crazy and you know just the fact that he was aware of that. Um, but yeah, man, it was just such a scary thing and you know it was bigger than football at the time. There nobody was. I feel like nobody wanted to play anymore because they were just like. Man, I, I'm too. What if that happened to me? You know, if I was at like the the, the players around, uh, either if I was in Denmark, I would be like, man, what if that happens to me next? You know, I'll be really cautious. Uh, and then you saw it when they when they supposedly agreed uh, to restart the game about an hour later. You know, the players were warming up again, and they're you know you could see the emotions on their faces. They're real sad about it all and just everything that's happened. There's other things, you know, other speculations saying that Christian Eriksen FaceTimed the team when he was considered stabilized, um, and he said for them to play, to play on. And I don't know if, you know, how how genuine that sounds. Um, but uh, I think the question I, I, I kind of want to ask you guys is, do you guys think it was the right move to have this game go forward, or do you think they should have canceled it entirely, maybe postponed it for another day? How do you guys think this... You know, should have been. I was reading something earlier in the morning about uh, what UEFA did and what they called them. So they gave them three options. The first option was what obviously happened suspend the match for like 90 minutes and then continue playing. The second option was to postpone the game and play the rest of it the following day, which would have been the Sunday. And then the final option was to just take a 3 0 loss 
and basically forfeit the game. So I thought that was really unfair and just really not cool on UEFA's part because this is a traumatizing moment for uh, these people right here. Like, take away that they're players. Like, they're people, you know. This is some of their best friends. This is, you know, somebody that they've been training with, they've been bonding with, they've gotten to know their families a lot better, you know. This is traumatizing. And we saw that when the players came back. They were crying, warming up, and obviously their minds were on somewhere else instead of the match when they resumed it. So that was really, I thought UEFA really messed up right there. I, I thought probably the right thing to do was give both teams like a point, like a, like a, cause the game was zero, zero at the moment. I thought we might as well just give them each one point, you know, nobody lo lost, nobody won. Seems like the right thing, you know, just give these players a break cause they do deserve a mental break for what happened. What do you think Mario? Yeah, everyone, Alex, man, I mean, not fair. Uh, what I would have done is just postpone the game, or what Alex said, give you one. Just yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you know the Denmark Football Association. I believe they uh, gave out a statement saying that you know the ne their next game is a big game. They're playing Belgium next, wow. and so this Thursday, and you know that's we only got what two days from now. Uh, to kind of just reassess mentally as best as you can, you know. And there's no rush, man. I mean, honestly, like, take your time. If I, you were in the, put in that situation, like, you know, take your time, man. It would be, it would suck if they, you know, because of just this mental shock that they've been through, that they decide to kind of just withdraw themselves from the tournament. But at the same time, you know, you got to kind of recognize that, uh, that it's not easy to assess. And as, as you know, even though Ericsson is a, you know, more likely okay now. Um, it's you know, it's still a shock what happened. You know, especially like that. A thing I didn't really appreciate as well is that the cameraman of that ESPN was you know the one that was broadcasting the game towards whatever. Um, he zoomed in onto Erickson's wife's face, like crying, like dude, why do you have to showcase that emotion? And that brought me back to the kind of like the shady things that ESPN has done. You know, broadcast-wise, and just the terms of their their presentation. I remember, I think it was last year in the NFL draft. You know, the kind of fun facts or whatever they're giving about the NFL draftees. Oh my And it goodness. was just, it was just like very, very irrelevant and just very depressing and sad. You know, you had uh, a few players say, "Oh, lost their mom at this age." Oh, this they grew up in a Section Eight household or whatnot. Parents went I to jail for something like that. You know, I thought that's just messed exactly. up, man. Like, let them right? celebrate this moment. Yeah, respectful. Just let they're already in the end. Let them over. Exactly, man. Exactly, and you know I, that's why when you know when I saw them kind of zooming into Erickson's face and even his wife and just all the fans that were crying and whatnot, you know I was like, ah, oh, typical ESPN. Um, but yeah, man, I agree. You possibly, you know give a one a point uh to each person but this also kind of brought me back to the situation that happened with the mls back tournament last year i believe it was new england or dallas versus cincinnati you know cincinnati were one of the teams that contracted covid and so they kind of uh played their game at the end of the you know group stage where they kind of just made it up you know um so i think you know they could have like a bye you know take as many days off or whatnot um but yeah dude it was just such a shady situation and just very difficult to watch uh for anybody you know whether you support the club i mean support the nation or not uh i think the majority of you know the football world really supports christian erickson and you know we just hope for him to have a speedy recovery and honestly like i said it's bigger than football if that was the last time we're seeing him on the pitch hey man so be it man you know at this point it's like health over everything dude um yeah and to be honest it's not the first time we've seen players who've experienced that kind of you know that kind of you know just the whole cardiac arrest and you know a specifically cardiac arrest i know Iker casillas had a cardiac arrest at practice a couple years ago and he ended up coming back and so maybe we could see him come back but to be honest i wouldn't bet on it i wouldn't you know beg for it to happen dude health over everything right now but uh other than that you know other than that big scare i think this tournament has been far uh pretty interesting so far uh there's a lot of teams that we're looking at that uh you know we don't know much about and i think one of those 
main teams where they're kind of like, oh, you know what, they're may they might be a Cinderella type of team or a team we might want to look into. You know, the Iceland's of the Euro European competition is North Macedonia. North Macedonia, they had a great game. Uh, I'm trying to remember who they played. I believe they played Austria. Austria, Austria yeah. yes. They were balling, man. They were touching really well from what I remember when I was watching the match. And, you know, of course, they lost, unfortunately. But they were very fun to watch. You know, they were playing um, just very well. Their movement in space and just their touches was fantastic. And I noticed that a lot of them, they have a lot of pacey players. Uh, and there's a lot of players that I didn't recognize as well. Um, so, you know, it was a very intriguing squad to look at. And, you know what, I... That might be my second favorite team in this tournament so far, but it's only day four of, of what, possibly 30. So, still got a lot more to watch. Um, but do you guys have any, you know, teams that you've watched so far in these past four days that you're like, oh, you know what, these teams are, maybe they're up to something. Um, I would say probably Ukraine. You know, they had probably the most entertaining match uh, against the Netherlands, 3-2, to two, they lost. Um, it was really hard to break down Netherlands for a while, you know, um, just because they were in the back five. I thought uh, Yarmolenko had probably the goal of the tournament till this morning, until uh, Patrick Schick had like a like almost Laton type goal in yeah. the Euros. And then um, another team also that I'm keeping an eye on, as I mentioned, uh, Patrick Schick and the Czech Republic. They looked uh, decent against Scotland, but then again, it is against Scotland, so kind of take that with a grain of salt. But I think overall that team, if Patrick Schick gets going, because he's a, he's a good striker, he's got all the quality you need, big, physical, can finish. You know, I feel like he could be the surprise player of the tournament. In my part, I like Austria and Ukraine, man. I mean, for Austria. Uh, I've seen um, David Olava play, and man, he's such a good player. He could play you whatever position you wanted to play. You could play him as an outside back, as a center back, as a defensive man, and actually as an ace. So, um, this is my dark horse. This is my dark horse. And for Ukraine, I mean, their strikers, like Alex said, you have Yarmolenko. Um, I think the other strikers named Yarkrum, the one that scored the header. That was a nice header. But yeah, these two teams are my dark horses for the tournament yeah i think every match has like at least that one player where you have your eyes on whether if it's like a team that's like not doing so well like um but there's always just that one player and i think uh you know schick patrick schick you know that's the beauty about european competition is like you get to see teams and players that are like their their value rises in terms of transfer the transfer stock rises and not only that but the European puns come out of it. So I've heard all day, you know, oh, that was a shick-ass goal. It's <laughs> just, oh, that <laughs> fool is shick and just all that, you know, and that, that that's what the European competition in any kind of world football tournaments like this uh, bring out. Um, but yeah, I agree with you guys. All these all these teams are, are showing up and, you know, kind of giving a fair play amount of a decent, good first impression. Um, Scotland, I think it was the number one. It was like, Oh my gosh, man! Like these guys can't handle Czech Republic, and then you see Czech Republic playing, you're like, "Oh wow, okay, these guys aren't too bad." You know, they're they're kind of shick. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think the number one concern that I had for the Scotland squad is that you know, okay, well you have Robertson. Andrew Robertson is a high quality player. You know, he, he, there's no doubt about it. And then you kind of look at the rest of the eleven, and then you have Scott McTominay playing center back, and it's like, oh. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. That that's where you kind of start to think. Oh, okay, no wonder she scored that half field goal. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been very fun to watch, and I think my dark horse is just North uh, Macedonia. Macedonia is just I could say that all day and be satisfied, man. Honestly, <laughs> that's such a <laughs> fun nation's name to say. Uh, but I think the fun hasn't begun as of yet. We still have the Deliberious Group F of Death. We have Portugal, we have Germany, we have France, I believe. And Hungary. And Hungary. And, you know, that could be a, a dark horse team as well, you know. Uh, Hungary. You know, they might be hungry for something. See, the puns are everywhere. Um, but, of course, you know, for every tournament there is, the first game is tomorrow, June 15th. Sorry, I'm just looking through when the first games are. So this is perfect. We get to preview tomorrow's games with Group F. Uh, I believe Group F 
It's going with France and Portugal. Let it's going to be uh, Portugal and Hungary as the early game. And then the late game um, around midday here is going to be France and Germany. Perfect. And so, uh, you know, this is the, the group that everyone's going to have their eyes keen on. Um, you know, only the top two could advance to the knockout stages. Uh, and, you know, there's the top three quality right here. Now, this also has me thinking with the whole situation that's going on with uh, with Denmark. You know, if they would have chosen the case where like, they, like, neither of them get points or maybe they split. This got you thinking, like, what if, you know, the top three of Group F can advance? Well, they can because uh, the if I'm correct, the top four uh, finishers in third place advance because there's only like I think five groups. So for the Euros, um, they they're gonna have like the top four third place teams advance onto the knockout stage. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, so so I, I guess you know it is a group of death. It was like a World Cup, then yeah. But I mean, all three Germany, France, and Portugal could technically advance. I mean, who knows? Maybe Hungary, if, if you want to get crazy, if Germany kind of do flop. But uh, yeah, that that's sure. what kind of is different about the Euros, you know, having that third place team maybe qualify. So I guess that's something else to watch out for as well, which adds a little bit more spice to the tournament as well. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, we need. I cannot, you know, I'd rather not see Hungary face Spain in the round of sixteen of this tournament. You know, I'd rather <laughs> see Portugal, you know, get that rematch, that World Cup rematch, uh, another three and three other and head into PKs. But um, yeah, this is the group of death, and you know, let's say you know. Due to the other results of other groups, maybe only the top two get out of this uh, uh, advance. So, who do you guys have as your top two getting out of Group F? I see you, Alex. Oh, Mario, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I see France, the group, and then second, I have Portugal. For my favorites for this Euros, I have Belgium, France, and Portugal. So, oh. whoever, whoever is going to win the group f is going to be the champion that's how i see it that's crazy that's good uh for me i have portugal winning the group and then i have uh france right behind them and then uh my favorites are france portugal and belgium i really think i'm really high on portugal i think the team that they have this year is a lot better than what they had in 2016. you have a lot more established players like bruno Fernandes. you have joao felix uh bernardo silva diago jota and that defense too is is getting better uh nuno mendes from uh sporting was really good last season you still have pepe even though he's pretty old he's still quality and then, you know, goalkeeper Rui Patricio has been really good with Wolves. And overall, I just think Portugal are my favorites. I'm so confident in that, that I've already started to learn Portuguese a little bit, you know. I, oh, I, I have a feeling that they'll, <laughs> if it's not them, then maybe Brazil and the Copa America. But I'm I'm starting to learn some Portuguese um, during the summer. That's my goal, at least know a bit more of the language. So I'm confident Portugal is going to go pretty far. Dude, Portuguese is like, I feel like to me is the most scariest language to learn, like, it's it's so like the dialect is like what <laughs> you know i mean if you like know spanish i guess some of the words are it does help. like familiar yeah. it does help a lot like for me i'm i'm pretty fluent in spanish so I, it's really helpful when i'm like okay i can say this you know I, I got the accent for this you know so it's a pretty cool language yeah man. well yeah I, i've been very high on belgium ever since the world cup when they lost in the semifinals against england oh no who did they lose to i can't remember Croatia, I believe. I think oh, it was can't remember. It was was it France? Yeah. Dang, who did Croatia play? Oh, the Croatia oh, played England. England. Yeah. Yeah. Flip flop, flip flop. Well, yeah, Belgium has been. I believe they're they're number one in the FIFA World Ranking, and they've been on top of their team. They had a very easy game uh, in their first round. Um, and then of course they have Denmark this Thursday. Um. So I got Belgium hoping they win it all the way at, you know. But I think I agree with you, Alex. You know, the, the best team on paper is definitely Portugal. France as well, you can, you can make a, you know, a chance for them. But I think Portugal is just the most exciting one to me for the exact same reason you said. Uh, Ruben Diaz even in the back line helping that oh, out. Oh, forgot I, about him. Wow, he's yeah, been so good too. Exactly. So they're just all these players who are, at, are in form at the, at the right time and the right place. And I think just... You know, Rui Patricio between the poles, uh, guiding that back line and just supporting them. It's just, man, dude, there's no one. You know, I, I think this tournament, especially with 
you know all these people uh, like the group F um, participants this tournament is going to showcase why defense wins championships you know because there's a lot of attacking power there's a lot of you know offensive prowess but the defense is where it's like all right that's where the best separates from the others and so uh, i think the best defense is right now is portugal right behind that is france germany i honestly don't think they can make a really tough case for a defense right now you know they just <sighs> joe kim Lowe's last uh tournament with the national team and Joe Kim Lowe has been on a downfall as a recent, and so uh, I don't think he will. I'm gonna miss him though. All the the cameras catching him sniffing his butt and doing all this hey, weird bro. stuff, you know. Yeah, exactly, dude. Oh, hey, we, might, we, might, we might get him in, in club football, so we'll see. <laughs> um, man, that dude needs a haircut too, man. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Belgium. Belgium is just everywhere, man. I think they got the whole nine yards when it comes to from. The forward line to the back, you know, the top three, you know, their midfielders are perfect. You can't, it's very hard to contain KDB and then you have Mertens up there as well. Yannick Carrasco supporting the midfield. You have uh, the Lukaku brothers up there. What else do you want? You have Lukaku. Yeah. And then you have, um, damn, how could I forget the goalkeeper's name? Courtois uh, from Real Madrid. Courtois. still really yeah. good. My thing, too, with them is, like, if Eden Hazard, like, plays like Eden Hazard did two years ago, they're definitely winning this thing. But and I'm honestly, not really – I'm not that high on Eden Hazard anymore just because he's been, like uh, – you know that one guy from SpongeBob, the the guy born with glass bones and paper skin, you know? That's what I think <laughs> of Eden Hazard now because he just struggles to get fit all the time. But oh, if uh, Eden Hazard sits uh, going for Belgium, I don't see anybody stopping them. Yeah, man. Oh, I see Eden Hazard is like Marco Fabian right now. He's just there to party and drink, man. Get his money and dip. Um, but, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think Eden Hazard is like a necessity for Belgium to win this tournament. I think just even without him, they could win it all. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Lukaku, Lukaku is a, you know, a big, a big help, a, a huge asset up front. I mean, look at that goal. And that's another beautiful thing about this game, you know. What was it? An hour or two after the incident with Ericsson, he scores that goal and he heads to the camera and says, hey, yo, brother, Christian, I love you, man. We're here to support you. And, you know, that was just a a, a, a wholesome moment and it's something that we all needed to just recognize. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I plead my case that Belgium is the, the team to definitely watch, you know. And if they, for some reason, do not win this tournament, I think it's still something that they should. Um, I think they could use this tournament as an experiment for the World Cup next year, if that makes sense. Because remember, remember this, guys. Um, World Cup is gonna be in December next year because it's in it's in Cater. I, heard, I found out it's called Cater, not Qatar. It's Cater. Okay, well I learned something. Pronounced Cater. Cater. Okay. Wow. Gonna, That's weird. <laughs> I'm still gonna say Qatar, but it's it's pronounced Cater. Well, the tournament is in December, so I'm assuming. And I've heard, you know, numerous rumors that the Confederations Cup is going to be happening in, you know, the beginning of the year, next year. They're still going to do that? That's what I'm, like, very confused about. Exactly. So, this is the first time we're going to have the Confederations Cup and the World Cup in the same year. Which, I mean, I guess it's only a two-group tournament. I mean, I guess you could do that. Um, And then January, February-ish, that's like uh, off-season for most... uh, most european actually no that's that's actually beginning of the season so that that's another difficulty so i don't know um but this is a perfect time to experiment you know let's say belgium loses this tournament they could look back and say all right what do we mess up on what do we need to readjust what do we need to work on in general you know and uh i honestly don't think belgium have anything to lose so yeah man well i think that'll do it for our uh, talk with uh, the European Cup. It's only been four days. I think the fifth day is going to be the most exciting uh, and one that we're just going to keep our eyes on. Tomorrow, you said it's Portugal, Germany, Alex? Uh, it's Portugal, Hungary, and then it's Germany, France. Wow. It's going to be a great game. And I think Germany has everything to lose. I think Germany has to, you know, their bar is pretty up here. Yeah. On that. I think we're waiting for them to, you know, they have to meet our expectations, but I think to them, they have to exceed them. Uh, Portugal too. They also have to win. You know, they're not facing one of the top teams. They're going against Hungary. They have to win. If they don't, oh, then, yeah. then I guess you know, I guess they won't be contenders anymore, really. But um, they have to win tomorrow. 
Yeah, exactly. So before we go into our first commercial break, let's go ahead and give our PSR rating, our performance satisfactory rating uh, after the four days of the European Cup. Mario, rating out of four, brother. How are you feeling about this tournament so far? Four, man. Four. I'm oh, so wow. excited. So far, the Euros hasn't been going. I just can't wait for the Euros. I can't wait what the Euros have been cooking for before. How about you, Alex? Um, I give it a four, too. You know, just the teams overall are looking really good. And obviously, it gets spicier uh, once you get to the knockout stage. But uh, e either way, you know, the teams right now are going to fight for their lives to stay alive in this tournament. It's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the way through. Wow, you guys are very high about this tournament so far. Honestly, think it could be a lot better. Um, but it's up there. I, I want to give it like a 3.25, 3.5. Um, you know, same reason you guys said, you know, it hasn't disappointed. But I think it just has a lot more to offer uh, in terms of, uh, you know, just the matchups. I think a lot of the groups where a lot of Cinderella teams are paired up with Cinderella teams. You know what I mean? A lot of dark horses. And it's just very yeah. difficult to kind of pretend or even act like oh i'm interested in it you're just watching because you know what it's the euros and so um you know that's the tough part about it all but uh you know i think starting tomorrow that's when that 3.25 kind of antes up a bit up to that four psr and so uh i'm excited for tomorrow which is today when people will start listening uh and yeah uh well that'll do it for us so far uh for the euro cup interest we're gonna go ahead and take a break i know you guys need some water my knees restroom handle our business but uh when we come back we'll be talking about the copa america uh you know talk about that beautiful free kick from Messi today oh man beautiful gorgeous i mean we'll, we'll debrief this shortly and then other sports going on we have nba just overall sports news we're going to talk about and then maybe some hockey maybe we'll, we'll see we'll be right back stay tuned everybody Welcome back to the Los Angeles Saga Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Reynoso, alongside Mario Vasquez and Alex Ruiz. We've dug down a lot into the Euro Cup and, you know, the whole situation going on there. But I think it's time to dig into the other summer term that is going on that just started yesterday. Uh, two days two days be uh, ago, depending on when you're listening to this or whatnot. Um, the Copa America. Copa America was... Uh, I think it's one of the most sketchiest Copa Americas in a long time. Uh, and as, you know, I think you say corrupt uh, South American football is. Uh, this is as South American as this can get. Uh, so we have, uh, I don't know, I've, I think we all are aware of what happened with the whole situation of them relocating from Argentina and Colombia to Brazil. A lot of people are saying that they should have relocated to the U.S., you know, probably playing Miami. You know, that's a good, I don't, I don't think that's a bad idea. Or possibly just cancel the tournament at all, honestly. I mean, one less tournament, you know how many tournaments there are this, this summer? One less tournament, I don't think it's going to hurt. Um, I think the only one that's going to be hurt by that that kind of decision uh, is Messi. Because Messi's still looking for his first international trophy. And so, uh, yeah. But how do you guys feel about just the whole scenario? What's going on with Copa America and how Comebol is handling it? Alex, we'll start with you, man. Um, yeah, so I was reading in a couple of days uh, for the other podcast that I have, the Soccer Summer podcast, just researching about all the stuff that's going on, right? And just how the format's also different, too, because now it's just two groups. Originally, it was going to be like the Northern teams versus the Southern team groups, right? So you had a group of five because Australia and uh, Cater, as I learned how to say today, were supposed to be playing in the tournament. But because of that, they withdrew. Obviously, they moved uh, the tournament uh, because of COVID reasons. But then they moved it to Brazil, which is probably the most heavily affected nation by COVID. And then the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, a very controversial figure in that nation, um, was advocating for the tournament to be held in Brazil again because the tournament did happen in 2019. Brazil did win at home. And then this whole thing happened with the Brazilian coach, uh, Tite, I think that's how you say his name. But um, he wasn't a fan of it, of the tournament in Brazil, nor were the players. And apparently Bolsonaro was going to get the president of the Federation of Brazilian Football to just uh, fire 
uh, the Brazilian coach, but then allegations came out of sexual harassment from him. So then he had to get suspended. And then this whole fiasco that's going on has been crazy with the Brazilian national team drama going on here and there. I'm surprised that they even decided to play. I think they had a letter a couple of days ago saying that they will play, but they really don't want to at heart. They really don't want to participate. So it's just crazy how all this stuff is going on in such a little amount of time. And I'm just surprised that we're even at the point where we're like, what, match day two at the time of recording. So it's crazy. Yeah, shithousery football at its finest, you know. And I think the only kind of, like, pre-tournament drama that I could remember, and honestly, I wasn't live for this, but that I could remember that happened like that was with Nico and Elka in, in France over there in the 2002 World Cup. I believe it was 2002 or 2006. But, um, you know, a lot of outside things, you know, irrelevant things. I mean, those sexual harassment, it's irrelevant to the tournament, you know, but they brought it in, and now it's like, well, now we got to deal with this while we're also trying to claim a trophy. And that's a, that's a huge distraction for not only Brazil, but they're the host now. So it's like, oh, now we got a coach who's coaching a national team that has, a, you know, some allegations to deal with. And, you know, that's a very, just very sketchy, you know. Like I said, shit, how's your football on its finest? Uh, Mario, how are you feeling about just this whole tournament overall? I'm just not interested, to be honest. I mean, on the ball really unfair and I feel like they can't risk it you know um if I had it in my hands I would postpone the tournament one more time because I mean COVID ain't no joke man COVID kids are still raising and rising <laughs> my bad but I mean Conmebol is like that you know you have things like the Copa Libertadores and La Copa Sudamericana and it's always the same thing with Conmebol so it's always like that. Yeah, I think, you know, just because of the football culture that uh, differentiates from that kind of region and, and just going the ball as a confederation that it's football over everything. And we've seen that with, like, clubs like in Argentina and Colombia and just, you know, like Boca, River. We saw all, that um, in the Libertadores final when uh, Boca and River went to go play. They had to suspend the game and play it in Madrid. <laughs> Because yeah, the I think if I'm correct, the River Plate fans were getting kind of crazy, throwing stuff at the Boca bus. You know, you had the police getting involved, and it was just crazy. You know, it was yeah. comable at its height, really comable football right there. There you go. Oh, then having nice. to move the game to Madrid, where they would play it, and if I'm correct, I think River Plate won that game. But it's just crazy, man. Comable football is something else. Like people actually like worship it, like it's a religion <laughs> there. Like I'm being yeah, serious. I, I think they have like a a church dedicated to Diego Maradona over there in Argentina yeah, somewhere. I was reading about that's that. That's too much, man. But I think they have that, and it's just crazy to me. And just last week, we were complaining about CONCACAF. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but hey, well, it's something else, man. I mean, it's something else. And the craziest thing is that, you know, Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, kind of allows all this, you know. It's just... Greed, you know. Greed is a... Is a... It plays a big part in all this, like I said, shithousery. And uh, you know what? That's part of the beautiful game, the beauty and misery of it, and it's why we love it. Um, but again, you know, there's things greater than football that are happening, and they're just allowing it to, you know, oh, okay, fine, you know? And so uh, even Messi, I believe, he said yesterday morning that, you know, I honestly don't think I should be playing. And he's the one who, you know, has everything to lose. He's the one who's running for that GOAT contention that, you know, trying to claim his first international trophy. And he's, even him himself, he's like, you know what, I don't think we should be playing this right now. And so I think that says a lot uh, for the tournament. And just, you know, it really sucks that the players can't really represent themselves right now, you know. And that goes back to the Denmark match, you know, the players uh, having to play that game. And despite what happened recently. Um, but yeah, I wanted to ask you guys a little PSR. Uh, but I mean, there's only two days again, so I can't ask you guys for a PSR for this tournament. Uh, but I think one of the most an anticipated games of this tournament, at least for group stage-wise, was uh, Argentina and Chile, which happened today. Uh, Argentina's, I mean, Messi, excuse me. Messi is Argentina. <laughs> but uh, Messi scored a fantastic free kick, you know, a beauty in... It's at this point, I think it's like, oh, okay, fine, he scored a free kick because it's like we're so used to it by now. Um, but 
how did you guys feel about that free kick overall? Was it you know extraordinary or just Messi being Messi? Um, it's just like in oh. sorry, it's too quiet. But um, yeah, it's just another another day for Messi. Really, I've I've just gotten used to it. You know, so many free kick goals for Barcelona, and then you know he had a couple with Argentina like that in the World Cup in 2014. So I'm not really surprised to see Messi scoring from there and from that range. You know, that's Messi range right there. From there, it's automatic most of the time for Leo. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't actually really surprised. Like, like Alex said, it's typical. Every free kick in the 18 to like even the 30 yard, it's a goal. It's a goal for him. So I wasn't really surprised. Yeah, just another day in the office for uh, Messi. But uh, I think another guy that. Uh... People kind of underestimate and just, he just really underrated to me. Eduardo Vargas, who scored the equalizer in the 57th minute of the second half. Um, he's been a big asset for Chile's uh, success, you know, the past few years. You know, of course, they had that uh, Copa America uh, Centenario tournament over here in, in the United States when Mexico, you know, they got thrashed by Chile. But it wasn't just Alexi, Alexi's. Uh, Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez, yes. Uh, you know, doing it and Arturo Vidal doing everything there. You know, Eduardo Vargas was a big factor in that, and I think he was. To me, I think Eduardo Eduardo Vargas was like the Fred of Chile. I don't know if you guys remember Fred from uh, Brazil, that 2014 squad. Yeah. He is that Fred, and you know, he's a very important part, a very important piece, like a Di Maria type player, and uh, he came up big for Chile. You know, Alexis Sanchez has. Hasn't been the same player ever since he went to Man U, and you know, but he spe- he stepped up big in a, what was a much needed uh, point for Chile. Even if it was just one, you know, I think one against Argentina is, is a considered a win, honestly. Um, but uh, like like Alex said, you know, there's only two groups, and so there's five match stays within each group, and I believe it's like top four. That yeah, top to four. So uh, most of well, Commonwealth does have a couple of punch bag teams. You know, you have your Bolivias and you have your Venezuelas that really don't really do much. So you can kind of expect them to not make it. So you, the other eight teams, you know, you know who's going to be the knockout stage and who's not unless something spectacular happens and the team just doesn't perform. Yeah. And that thing that that's what gives a big blow of this tournament with the, having Australia and Cater uh, withdraw themselves from this tournament because, I mean, instead of a round of 16, format uh we have or even a quarterfinals with the two two top two teams of the bye they just go straight to quarterfinals so i think it's less of a knockout stage what kind of sucks i think to a typical football fan because you know there's less of the tournament to watch but like mario said i think i'm the same way it's just another tournament like it's something that i'm not really interested in right now i think i'm more interested in the euro cup and then just the later tournaments that are happening this uh this july with the gold cup and just everything that's going on um well how about you alex you how are you feeling about this tournament are you are you do you have your eyes keen on this tournament or is it just another thing going uh on? i do just for a couple of matches to be honest like you guys said it just doesn't really feel special it doesn't feel like a like a copa medica especially since there's no fans allowed in the stadium and just overall the chaos is going on behind the scenes with coma bowl and you know brazil and politics getting involved and all that stuff you know, it's just been really hard to pay attention to and actually, like, really want to enjoy, like, the Euros. Like, I'm at least enjoying it, you know, watching the teams go out, and it's been successful so far. Even with just into match day two at the moment of recording, you know, just nothing has really caught my attention, and nothing's, like, telling me, like, hey, this is much-watch TV right now, even though it's a major international tournament. Yeah, and I think the way both tournaments started were pretty equal, but just the second day was a huge difference already, you know. Uh, Brazil, you know, thrashing their opener just like Italy thrashing theirs. And so, uh, you know, and then I think a big change too is that there's fans. As soon as I see there's fans, you know, and there's not necessarily like a home venue, they're playing in, uh, for the Euro Cups. They're playing in various venues, you know, when there's like their actual home, uh, home field advantage. Uh, you know, you have England playing at Wembley. You have, you know, everyone playing at their respective stadiums depending on their schedules. Um, so I think that that plays a big factor instead of, you know, one team going to Russia, one team or all the teams going to one specific country where the host is, uh, at. And so, uh, you know, everybody in Brazil, there's only one Brazil and, you know, knowing Brazil, 
those stadiums would be full to the brim. Uh, but due to COVID and possibly the reason why this tournament shouldn't be happening in the first place, uh, that's preventing from that, you know, that experience. And, you know, that also showcases and proves the evidence that fans are a big factor in why this game is that good. And so uh, that's a big plus and I think advantage that Euros have compared to the Copa America. And, yeah, it's just another tournament, you know. If I if I missed if I happen to miss a few games from the morning for Euros and I'll be able to watch a few afternoon games from Copa America, might as well flip the channel. Um, yeah, I I don't really have much more to say for the Copa America. You know, it's just like a, like we all agree on that it's just another tournament, and we're just uh, well, it is a tournament, so there has to be a winner. Alex, you have a specific winner. You think Messi is gonna get his first international trophy here? Uh, I, I really don't think. I don't think anybody's beaten Brazil, to be honest. Sure, they defeated Venezuela, but that team is, like, really stacked and really good all around. Um, yeah, they're playing at home, I guess. I don't know if there's a home field advantage in this tournament, but since since there are no fans. But I, I really don't see anybody beating uh, Brazil. And to be honest, I think Uruguay have a better shot than Argentina. Um, I just, I'm just not sold on Argentina yet. They haven't really... Every time I watch them, whether it be the World Cup, Copa America, or whatever tournament, you know, it just feels like a bunch of individuals most of the time there, you know. You can rely on Messi as much as you want, but there are going to be days where he's not going to be banging in the goals and teams are going to shut him out. So I really don't think that they're not a favorite for me to win this. Yeah, I agree. I think they're a semifinalist. I don't think they're going to make it to the final. Um, as of right now, the moment of recording, Bolivia is beating Paraguay in the first half, I believe. And if they if Bolivia gets the win, you know, like we were talking about, fifth place of the group is out. Um, Bolivia gets top of the table after my, uh, the first match day, and so I think that's very interesting. And so Paraguay, I thought they were going to be a dark horse of this tournament, but uh, I don't know. I think it's still too early. Uh, Uruguay and Brazil, I think, is more of an entertaining match to watch than having Argentina there. I'm sorry, I, I'm counting them out. What about you, Mario? I have Brazil, man. I mean, like Alex said, they're stacked. There's no doubt about Brazil is going to win this tournament. It's a back-to-back. But uh, I think Argentina do have a chance. I mean, they have players like Rodrigo de Paul. They have Lautaro Martinez. The, the goal, I mean, you can't, you can't see nothing about Messi. I mean, I think they do have a chance. I think Uruguay, Brazil, and Argentina are my contenders yeah yeah i mean yeah i think we all couldn't agree that you know they do have a chance but if we were to put money on you know go to vegas and put some money on the sports books for argentina i don't think we'll have the guts to do it you know um so that's why i'm, I'm saying you know i'm counting them out if i was to choose yes or no i would say no um yeah that'll do it for a copa america talk of course uh, we have many more uh, games to watch. Maybe even within the next few days or by the time we record our next episode, we might change our minds about this tournament. You know, what if there's uh, you know, some moments that occur within each match that it kind of uh, changes our minds about it. Uh, even with the Euro Cups, as, as astonishing as it's been so far. But uh, let's go ahead and transition to another uh, tournament. I think I think the summer is like the most spectacular time for sports you know have, you have all kinds of playoffs going on you have soccer tournaments going on and it's just the perfect time for everything um you know it's the it's the equator of entertainment right now but uh, right now we got nba going on we, as we're talking and recording this podcast we got the hawks and the sixers trying to trying to take control of the series in atlanta right now it's halftime 62 sixers 49 Hawks. Uh, how are you guys feeling about this series thus far? We'll start with um, you, Mario. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry about that, Mario. <laughs> um, I think Philly has the ass and the players to win this series easily, but I mean, on the other side, Trey Young and John Collins are... John Collins, um, I'm starting to love this man. He's an underrated power forward, and they connect so well. But I feel like Philadelphia's gonna win this easily in six, yeah, in six games. 
I thought this was gonna go to probably seven because Atlanta did win the first game. Uh, obviously, you have Trey Young and and John Collins there, but aside from that, you know, other players on the Hawks got to step up like uh, Bogdanovich, uh, Herder, and uh, Gallinari. You know, they lost uh, probably one of their best defenders and DeAndre Hunter to an injury. I don't think he's gonna play the rest of the series. And overall, I don't really see anybody on the Hawks stopping Joel Embiid when he's healthy. Uh, ben Simmons is gonna lock, do the do his best to lock down Trey Young or whoever's uh, handling the ball, but I, I see this like like Mario said in six, the Sixers taking this. Yeah, I mean, I think Atlanta just had to take a, take advantage of the opportunities they have at home. You know, I think that home crowd is, you know, they help out a lot. Um, but we also see how Trey Young can perform on, perform on the road. So once they head back to Philadelphia, maybe. The, they could spark something, but I agree. I think six uh, will continue the process uh, for Philadelphia and head over to the Eastern Conference Finals, possibly against either the Bucks or the Nets. So let's go ahead and transition and talk about that series. You know, the Nets will be having for Game Five. Will be playing without Kyrie and James Harden. Now, a thing that I realized, you know, now that we're in the playoffs and we're thus far into it, a lot of people in the beginning of the NBA season were, you know, clowning on James Harden. For you know his his lack of physique and just his weight and just the way that he didn't look like he was in proper basketball shape. Well, I found out this stat a few hours ago that in this whole playoffs, this is the first ever game that he's gonna miss, and the only amount that he's missed this whole playoffs was forty three seconds. Wow. So that was like that was like he would step out for a quick sub, get a little drink of water, and come back in. So I don't know, man. If if that sixty minutes in a basketball game, you only miss forty three out of forty three seconds out of how many games, dude? That's that's so much math for my brain, but that's a lot of conditioning. I think this guy uh, has proven to us that you know what. Don't judge your book by his cover. But, He's like uh, a shapeshifter. I remember when he got traded to Brooklyn, there were pictures of him looking like all skinnier. Yeah. When like three days before, he looked like he was looking like he was about to become a beach ball. So it, it's crazy how how that's happened, you know. I wasn't expecting to hear that. You surprised me with that stat. Yeah, man. It's that I was I was just saying, you know, like wow, 43 seconds really. Um so KD is gonna have to take the helm and you know carry uh the nets. Uh, no Kyrie. Kyrie got a really bad ankle roll on Sunday night in Game Four, and uh, thankfully, uh, Steve Nash reported that it, the tests that they gave him were negative, and that he's going f- uh, through further treatment. So hopefully, they'll have him back for uh, for Game Six or even Game Seven if they're able to force it, if that's possible, if necessary, if anything. Um, but yeah, that was a really weird ankle roll, and that was a very fast one too. If there's any. Kind of lack of that. Um, but KD versus Giannis versus Chris Middleton versus P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker alone, you know, he stepped up big uh, in game four. And he was uh, very difficult to just get through, you know. Whether it was just KD or anybody else who was holding the ball for the Nets, trying to get something done on the front court. Um, but a lot of people were complaining, specifically uh, Steve Nash, just about on, on how... P.J. Tucker was defending the Nets, and a lot of people were saying that he was playing non-basketball defense, basically saying he was dirty. Now, I kind of want to save it for the pass-to-shoot uh, segment, so I will. Um, but, you know, P.J. Tucker, he, I think he played great defense. I think, you know, he played by the reps' whistles, you know. Uh, there was times where, you know, okay, there was calls that there had to be made, and they were made. You know, but I think they the refs gave him a lot of more freedom uh, defensively, and you know he took advantage of the physical threshold that the refs were implementing in this game. Um, but KD, I mean, as dominant KD is right now, he's forty one point eight points per game in the playoffs. Uh, he's been dominating all by himself, to be honest. But can he really take this Nets win in Game Five by himself? No Kyrie, no James Harden, maybe some help from uh, Shamit. Uh, Mike James has been stepping up. Uh, free agent who was acquired for the playoffs for the Nets. Blake Griffin has been the Blake Griffin we've seen in the Lob City Clippers. And so he's not going to be alone, but out of the big three, he is alone. So uh, what do you think, Alex? you think uh, KD could secure the dub for Game 5 for the Nets? 
Um, yeah, I think so. I think uh, KD and Giannis cancel each other out in the next game. Um, both of them are going to be going at it. You know, P.J. Tucker's been playing really good defense. You do have to kind of get physical if you really want to play good defense on basketball. Um, but, yeah, I think the role players of the Brooklyn Nets will probably step up. I really like Bruce Brown. I like what he brings. Obviously, he had that kind of boneheaded play where he kind of shot the ball instead of giving it to Kyrie or KD, which were literally on his left and his right. But aside from that, I like his defense. I like he's able to drive to the rim, get contact. He can shoot as well. Landry Shamit as well is a pretty good uh, shooter from the ball. Blake Griffin has stepped up, which is good to see. You know, unfortunately, you know, they would have had a LaMarcus Aldridge, but he was kind of forced to retire due to his health. But overall, I can see the Nets taking the W. They'll be going back home to Brooklyn, so I can see them uh, winning game five. Mario? Actually, I see Milwaukee taking the W. Um, you know, like you said, Jerry, you have guys like Chris Middleton. You have Drew Holiday, Giannis. You also have Brooke Lopez. He's a very underrated center. And P.J. Tucker, you know, I feel like P.J. Tucker's going to have the same mentality like he had the last past game. And, yeah, I see Milwaukee winning this game. I think KD. I mean, we saw it in the second half of last game. He didn't do as much. But, yeah, I see Milwaukee winning this game. But series, I feel like Brooklyn is going to win in seven games. That's what I see in the future. But, I mean, everything can happen. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, uh, you know, especially on paper, you know, you were talking about the lineup that Milwaukee has to uh, to show for the upcoming game, you know. I totally forgot about Brick Lopez. He's a, He's been crashing the boards very well. You know, even if he's not helping out offensively, he's been helping out, you know, passing the ball around and just winning those backboard battles. Um, but, I mean... I think we all can agree that we can't underestimate the leadership and the type of player that uh, KD is. Um, so, is it likely that they're going to lose? Yes, but it's also likely that they might win as well. Uh, I, w- I would say that we're in favor of Milwaukee winning just because of the circumstances and um, the advantages they have. But also, I don't think anybody should count out the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and for the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, this game is completely theirs to lose. I mean... There is no reason why they should lose this game. They have all everything in favor pointing back towards them. And I just think, you know, if there's a game that uh, will showcase when and how legends are made, I think this is a chance for Kevin Durant to show why he is that guy, you know. And I, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch regardless. I hope it's not a whooping and that, you know, KD maybe shows that, you know what, I could probably do it by myself, which is something that, He's been trying to do over the, his career, you know. He tried being that leader in OKC and, you know, things didn't really work out there in terms of trying to get a championship. Um, and he also tried to be that guy with the star-studded Golden State Warriors. But now that he's in Brooklyn, I think it's a time where it's like all the shadows are gone. They're sitting on the bench. They're not playing this game. There's a chance for him to shine. All the spotlights on him. And so uh, this could be either a legendary night for Kevin Durant and his career or, uh, you know, just another day in the office for Giannis and the Bucks. Moving on to uh, what series that has already finished is the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. Suns and foe is what occurred last night. And, um, well, two nights ago, depending on when you guys are watching this or listening to this. Um, Phoenix Suns putting on a show. I mean, they took advantage of yet another, you know, injury-filled squad. No Jamal Murray was a big, you know, asset to Denver Nuggets. But they also had the MVP. Well, up until the third quarter when he was ejected uh, for a slap. Uh, was it a slap, guys? Uh, I don't know. Alex, do you think that was a flagrant two call? Was That's like a flagrant one. Like, I understand, like, yeah, the windup of it was really aggressive. And, like, he did get a bit, like, of Cameron Payne's uh, nose. But I don't think it was, like, he hit him with his fist or something like that. Where, like, it's definitely, like, you can tell... You know, he wanted to hurt him. Yeah, he was frustrated, and it was like a frustration foul. But I don't think that's ejection worthy. I think that's a little too soft. Yeah. What do you think, Mario? I totally agree with Alex. I think that's a flagrant one. I think the uh, NBA refs are just like, let the player play, man. I mean, we can't let this board turn so soft. Yeah, and, and I mean, you think of the evolution of, you know, just the sport in general ever since the, the 80s. When uh you know the Detroit Bad Boys, the Pistons of 
Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambier, and just their overall uh, reputation of just being these badasses of the league. You know, fouling Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the 80s and just everyone that got in their way, even Magic Johnson and the Lakers, um, to now where it's like a little touch on the nose or a little fake flop that LeBron does or whatever, whoever it may be, you know, gets called. And, you know, like, like Alex said, it wasn't ejection-worthy. And, like, come on, man. You know, it's just a contact sport. You know, P.J. Tucker could do all that he's doing. I think that was like uh, maybe flagrant one, give him a few free throws, let him inbound and call it, go on from there. Um, but I think what should be a flagrant two, maybe even flagrant three, is just a thrashing overall that the Phoenix Suns gave the Denver Nuggets. I mean, these guys have came out of nowhere, you know. CP3 being CP3. He's doing his thing and, and you know, he looked the same way with OKC, and it seemed like with OKC, he might even resigned after the the bubble playoffs that he had last year, um, and just you know get another stint with them. But he moved on to better, bigger, and better things over here in, in Phoenix, and I think the fans over there in Phoenix have waited forever for this kind of you know success. You know, it's the first time that they've reached the Eastern or the Western Conference Finals since 1993, um, and that was when Chuck was there. <laughs> Uh, Charles Barkley and so they have a lot to celebrate um, but I think the big factor in this win is just the amount of rest they're gonna get for these Western Conference Finals um, you know they they swept the Denver Nuggets uh, and then the other Western Conference uh, semifinals going on is the LA Clippers and the Utah Jazz which is uh, having a little bit back and forth depending on I guess what the Clippers are feeling um, so let's go ahead and talk about that right now game was it four is tonight Happened yesterday, if you're listening, tomorrow morning. Um, uh, what are you guys feeling about this series so far? Um, uh, for the last series with the Clippers against the Mavericks, you know, all the, if I'm correct, the way team won all the games except for uh, game seven. I feel like a similar panel like that's going to happen, but this time with the home teams, you had Utah winning the first two games at home. Clippers won the first game here in Los Angeles. I think they'll take game four. Four. Um, obviously, Donovan Mitchell's health is like a really, really big concern for the Jazz because he's without a doubt like their best player. Sure, if you're Rudy Gobert, but he, he's not going to put up 40 a night like Donovan Mitchell will. And if Donovan Mitchell's healthy, then I think the Jazz do win this. But if he struggles to, you know, play and play quality minutes and score buckets, then I think it's over for the Jazz. Well, I both teams have the starters and the bench players they have to win it's just I just can't describe both teams I mean on one side you have Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert you have the sixth man of the year and then on the other side you have Kawhi Leonard Paul George Reggie Jackson Morris and also Subach I think he's been a really good piece for the Clippers but I see this game in seven I see this game in seven I think the Clippers are going to win thanks to Kawhi he's uh I've seen him play, and he's very locked in. He could play both sides of the court. And, yeah, I think Kawhi's going to go off. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with any of you guys, but I think uh, the big factor within this series is just the role players and, and the rotation, you know, the be- the bench, basically. Um, I think, you know, players like Terrence Mann, who's seen the starting lineup a few times, and um, even Patrick Beverly. I mean, Patrick Beverly has... We, we know him for his defense and, you know, what he can do, you know, where he just kind of, like, antes up, you know, his play enhances. But we haven't really seen that Patrick Beverly for a cool minute. Um, so I think if he turns it on tonight uh, and just going forward from the series, he will be a big factor and a big help for Kawhi and PG. You know, there's we've seen PG have off days and, you know, then it responds with a fantastic 40 bomb out of nowhere. And then Kawhi, he's just as consistent as he can be. But then again, he can't do it all, you know. Um so I think, you know, players like Terrence Mann, Patrick Beverly, Reggie Jackson, uh, Morris, you know, winning the, the crashing the board as much as possible and getting as much rebounds, um, that, that'll be a big key into this series. And I see it going seven as well. Um, but I think I'm currently in favor of the Jazz just because, I mean, they're, they're, they're locked in as well. If they could get a win tonight, then I think it's more likely in their favors with the three-to-one series lead. Um 
also for the Jazz, though, you know, their bench as well, or even the rotation of players that are even in the starting lineup, like players like Joe Ingles, uh, he could get a three in, you know, whenever it's needed. And uh, that goes for any any squad uh, in the, that remains in the playoffs, you know. Even uh, like uh, Alex was saying with Bruce Brown, Mike James, and, and – um, yeah, Joe Harris, and Shamit, yeah, and Shamit too, Shamit, and also too you know, for the Jazz. They had they don't, they're gonna get uh, Mike Conley back soon because he's hurt right now. He hasn't played a man in the playoffs yet. So once they get Mike Conley, they're gonna get even better. And you know what? I heard, yeah, exactly. And I heard that he was able, he was uh, available to play since game two, and they're just like waiting for that right time. We're like, oh, do they really need him? Because I feel like they're confident to the point where you know what? We're gonna make it to the Western Conference Finals. Let's get in there as smooth as possible without using all our ammunition. You know, let's save it for the Western Conference Finals. And definitely, he does play a, a, a very good uh, supporting role with uh, with um, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but then again, his health is a big factor. Uh, so in, in that point, you know, there's a lot of good basketball between both sides. But whoever steps up with the bench, whoever gets the most bench points, you know, whoever seizes when the moment is there, I think was going to take this series. Uh, so if Clippers take this series or take the game tonight, game four, then I think it will go to seven. But if not, I see the Jazz winning it today. So, yeah, I think that'll do it for us today, guys. You know, we, we recorded longer than expected, and we had a lot of fun doing it. I hope I I didn't have too much fun more than you guys. Um, but uh, is there anything exciting that you guys are looking forward to this week? Um, Just keep watching the Euros and stuff. You know, I have another podcast, soccer, the Soccer Summer Podcast, on the podcast network so i'm gonna be uploading about the first match day of the euros i didn't record an episode about the Copa america because i didn't think that was gonna happen you know we talked about that earlier that whole fiasco over there but yeah i'll be making an episode soon uh just recapping the first uh games of the groups for the euros awesome what about you mario you have anything special going on man for me the euros man i mean like we said it's barely one barely match day number one and there's like 29 match these left so i think that's gonna keep me enter- entertaining yeah man it's definitely gonna be a summer uh a, a spectator field summer for all of us you know we wanted to stay we didn't we, we've been wanting to get out of the house you know since the pandemic and now that all these games are happening we're like you know we might reconsider um but yeah, i'm excited for just this summer overall this week i graduate uh so i'm excited for that and move on get my diploma and just focus more on this podcast and go on go on to other things um but i think that'll do it for all of us here uh thank you guys for listening and tuning in if you guys uh, are listening make sure you give us that review a nice one please nothing bad and that's it's constructive criticism we're, we're cool with feedback um give us that five stars and go ahead and follow us on our social media at los angeles soccer uh, thank you again everybody we'll see you next week possibly later this week but we'll let you guys know thank you